may be seated. You got me on here. So when my, when my wife is walking down the stairs with bad knees, she must really be feeling something uh, in order to get her moving like that. Uh, we're going to continue um, today uh, talking about uh, breaking down the walls of hostility in chapter 2. Um, we read how Jesus Christ uh, broke down everything that divides us. Specifically, Paul talks about Jew and Gentile. And here at High Point Church, we've been talking about breaking down those um, ethnic walls here at our church. So today I've got Augustina Molitor. She's here to give her testimony and then to, to read the scripture. Uh, I pray that you uh, just listen uh, carefully to what the Lord has given her to share. Augustina. Good morning, High Point. My name is Agustina, and I'm from Argentina. I came to live in the U.S. when a handsome Minnesotan guy asked me to marry me, uh, marry him four years ago. Um, I'm a third-generation Christian. My grandparents became Christians thanks to the work of American missionaries. So I was raised with the blessing of being part of and loved by a church community. When I arrived to the country, uh, even though my husband uh, was already a member at High Point, he asked me if I wanted to visit other churches in case I wouldn't find High Point suitable for me. I agreed to stay and learn for myself if this was the church for me. Of course, immediately I noticed the demographics. There was almost no, no one that was a Spanish speaker or Latino. I realized how different I was. Although English was not a barrier for me to mingle and meet people, since I graduated as an ESL teacher and translator back home, I consider myself, and I consider myself an extroverted person, still it was hard to connect with uh, people at church. I worried that people would get annoyed by my accent or they wouldn't understand what I was saying. There have been times when I felt inferior or like I didn't belong, when I didn't see a genuine interest from others to get to know me. This lack of interest discouraged me from engaging in more meaningful conversation beyond the usual small talk. I said to myself, maybe the people at church are friendly, but I'm not sure if they're looking to be actual friends with me. For example, on Sundays, I often feel awkward when I introduce myself to others. I can tell when people don't understand my name, um, but they still don't often ask me to repeat it. I wonder if they are too scared or indifferent to ask. So when I was asked to read scripture in front of these congregation, my initial reaction was, to say no, since just the thought of speaking in front of this group of mostly white educated, upper middle class individuals was rather intimidating. But I decided to start reading because I realized that God has placed me here and can use me even to help others learn to welcome people who don't think and speak like they do. Also, God is teaching me that um, you are 
are my brothers and sisters, that I must learn to love people different from me, just as I want to be loved. And I want others who feel different to see that they, like me, are still an essential part of the body and have a part to play here at High Point. I finally want to, um, I would like to thank the worship team and you, my church, for sometimes singing songs in Spanish. I appreciate your efforts deeply. Uh, I see that it might be uncomfortable for some people to sing in a language they don't know well or at all, but worshiping, worshiping together in my heart language uh, makes me feel loved um, as a member of the family. So, muchas gracias. Thank you. With that, I would now like to read um, the scripture passage for today, which is in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you would like to follow along, this can be found on page 1778 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to be one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thanks, Augustina. Why don't you give her a round of applause? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for how you've been uh, ministering to us through these testimonies um, from a, a wide variety of people in our community. And uh, Lord, I pray, uh, I know that there's even more that we need to hear uh, from other folks, um, from some white folks who are here about their um, frustrations in trying to break down the walls that divide us uh, that may not always be well received. There's other people we need to hear from. I just pray that you will give people confidence and boldness to be able to share their stories as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Today we're going to con continue in our series in Ephesians um, from chapters, from verses 1 through 6. In particular, we're going to talk about the unity that we have received in Christ, the unity we have received in Christ. Um, if there, it, take any Christian organization that has been around for a while, a marriage of five, 10, 15 years or more, uh, a small group, a church, 
you're going to find that in, over time, there are seasons of unity and peace and also periods of kind of discord and uneasiness. Uh, I'm talking about in a good marriage. I'm talking about in my marriage of 30 years. I mean, most of the 30 years has been a blessing and just wonderfulness, but then there's been weeks of maybe offense and uh, a sin that was not confessed and, um, and, and knowing that things aren't quite well and just letting it uh, extend a week or two. Even in good, strong marriages, there can be periods of disunity. And I found even in the church, I have belonged to uh, three churches for more than five years. And each of those churches, including this one I belong to now, has had uh, a season of some years where there was disunity. And so what Paul is teaching us in today's message is he's saying anyone who has come to faith in Christ through repentance and faith, and any person who has received his spirit and been placed in his family is unified. But what he wants to tell us today is how to maintain the unity in the church. Maintaining the unity in the church. That's our subject for this morning. And for whatever reason, it's not advancing, though it's on. Next slide, please. I want to say to you that unity requires spiritual substance. Yeah, it really isn't working. Spiritual substance. Um, when I talk about substance, that is kind of a, a, a common word for what the Bible calls sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which um, a person who knows Jesus becomes more and more like him. That process requires uh, my work, it requires my obedience, but it is all done by the power of the Holy Spirit. I grow and learn from being in fellowship, from obeying the scriptures. Um, it's a process by which I grow. Next slide, please. Um, now, when the Bible talks about spiritual substance, in, in the book of Ephesians, it uses these terms. It says this, um, uh, and to be put in, in, on the new self, that is the, the self that is filled with the Holy Spirit, to be put on the new self of Christ, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That is God's righteousness and his separateness from sin. All right? That's Ephesians 4, 25. One more verse of, that talks about spiritual substance. He says, for you were once darkness. That is living for your own purposes. That is living uh, for your central sensual pleasures, right? You, you, in your own, in darkness. He says, you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. That is living to serve God and serve others. Now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of all light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We're talking about spiritual substance. Next slide, please. So I want to talk about three things that spiritual substance or growth and sanctification requires that we have a strong common motivation. It requires that we have common beliefs. And it requires that we have common practices. And that's what we see in verses 1 through 6. We see a common motivation, common beliefs, common practices. Next slide, please. So let's talk about a common motivation. Ephesians 4 and 1 says this. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, 
I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Here Paul is about to transition in this letter. The first three chapters of this letter, he has been talking about our position in Christ, all that we have received from him. And he's about to pivot to talk about how to, how to obey Christ, how to walk in him. And the very first thing he wants us to do is, is he says, I want you to maintain the unity of the faith. That's more important than anything else that we do as Christians. Did you know that? Um, maintaining the unity of the faith. Next slide. Now, the motivation for this is that we recognize that we have a high calling. Um, some years ago um, in uh, Minneapolis, uh, one of the judges was uh, found uh, to be on the Supreme Court in the state of Minnesota, uh, was found to be uh, using uh, prostitutes. And when the court decided to discipline him and remove him from office, they said his high and noble calling should have persuaded him to, to pursue uh, high levels of character and integrity. He said, as a judge with a high calling, he should have known to pursue uh, high levels of character and nobility. Instead, he fell into common kind of sin. And with that, they removed him from the office. And what Jesus is trying to say to us is that being a child of God is a high and noble calling. Um, I used to be a member of a church in Waukegan, uh, Illinois, and Pastor Randall used to say this to people. He says, you know what? He says, I'm a first round draft pick. I'm Zion Williamson. Okay, okay. Um, the Lord didn't look and say, you know, who's left over and I put you on my team. No, he looked out on all that he created. And if you have received Christ as Savior, he chose you. And so that gives you a level of, 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 of honor, a level of esteem to know that the God of the universe who created all things and all people wants to be in close relationship with you. And this God is a holy God. He is a loving God. He has all resources. And so when we realize that we have a higher calling than a Supreme Court justice, it encourages us to love and serve the Lord. Next slide, please. And so when we talk about this calling, the highness of our calling, the riches of our inheritance in Jesus. I just want to summarize a few things. In Ephesians 1 and 4, it says that God chose us for himself before the world was created. You're, you're Zion Williamson. Uh, if you're a basketball fan, you're not Fred Van Fleet of the Toronto Raptors, right? He won a, a championship, but he, was, he had to earn his way in. You're a, you're a first round pick. He predestined us to be his children. That means that we are heirs of all that he has. And so your resources aren't limited to what you can see or what you feel you possess, but God will equip and empower you with all you need to serve him. You are wealthy in Christ. You are, you are rich in Christ. Verse 6, he sealed us with his Holy Spirit to preserve us forever. God doesn't just want a temporary relationship. You know, um, our marriage is sometimes even well-intentioned. Um, sometimes they fall apart, they're not, they, they don't, they're not permanent as they ought to be, but God says when you come to him in repentance and faith, their relationship is permanent. He's going nowhere. His spirit in you is not changing. Next slide, please. 
Uh, he promises that, that there will be an increasing, in heaven, in our eternity, there'll be an increasing measure of joy. When he returns for his church, church establishes his eternal kingdom, that there he promises an increasing measure of joy. And then he, he says to us that as we go about our business in the church, that God might send you from Georgia or South Carolina or other places to come and minister in Madison, Wisconsin, to be a blessing to students on campus. He might send you to India where Manohar is, or he might send you to the Dominican Republic where Rick serves often. He's gonna send you on an awesome journey for him to do great things that you never anticipated that you might do. Because we display his wisdom, we display his glory. We represent the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We got a high and noble calling. Next slide, please. Last thing, Pastor Nick preached about this last week. He said that we have a love that is rooted and established in Christ. And he says that as we walk in Christ, Paul makes this prayer, that that, that love should expand. Now, I came to Jesus as about a 24-year-old, uh, recently out of college, and the love I had for, for, for Christ was amazing. I had just lived a kind of a rugged, raggedy college life. I was well aware of my sins. God used that period to confirm in my life that I was a sinner. Up to that point, I was a good Catholic, and I thought I was good. But my freedom that I used for licentiousness showed me that I wasn't. And so the love I had for God at 24 was a love that said, Lord, uh, I, I can't believe that you saved me, even me. But the love I have at 54 for God, with uh, aging and sick parents, and aging and sick uh, relatives, and in the sandwich generation, where I've got kids that I'm trying to nurture along, in the faith and otherwise, uh, I need a different kind of love. I need a more mature love. I need a love that says, even when things feel, when I feel pressed, when I feel squeezed, that God is with me and he can provide when I feel like I'm out of resources. So I got a different kind of love at 54 than I had at 24. Come on with me now. And so, that, so God promises that we will be rooted and established in, in love and that that love will grow as we faithfully walk with him. Next slide, please. So I want to say to you, um, how do you keep this love going? How do you keep this love? Um, I saw when my children were young, um, they had a real great kind of spiritual fervor, a hunger. Um, I saw in my own life, um, when I got around 35 and my kids were young and I was working a lot and the pressures of life were on me, I felt like my love for God was waning. It was kind of being crowded out by just the busyness, just the concerns of life. And so the question becomes, in a full and busy life, how do you keep the fire of your love for Jesus going? Because it's the fire that is the glue between your position in Christ, who you are in him, and your practices. If you don't have that love glue, you won't live out the Christian life. You won't walk in light, in light. So I'm going to tell you what I do right now. Next slide, please. I got some spiritual goals. At this point in my life, I'm inspired when I see more of Jesus in me. 
And I find that I see more of Jesus in me when I intentionally identify some weaknesses, uh, tell my wife about them, and then actually work on them. When you have some spiritual goals, um, I forget there's a, there's a pastor in California, his name will come to me in a minute. He talks about, he wrote a book on this, Chip Ingram. He talked about having holy ambitions. What are your holy ambitions? My first one is this, I wanted to live an unhurried life. Follow Jesus in the Gospels, and you will find that he's the busiest person you've ever seen, especially when he begins to heal and people begin to recognize that he's the son of God. There's all kinds of throngs of people coming on him. But what you will see when you read about him carefully is that he was never in a hurry. He never let the circumstances or the pressures get him off of his mission. And I want to be like Jesus. I want to be very busy. I want to be very productive, but I don't want to live in a hurry. So guess what this God has done with me? It's mean that I had to get up earlier. Come on with me. It actually means that I got to prepare a bit better. And so this, this morning I'm up early in the office and I'm glad I got here early because I could add things to my sermon, little things for the rest of the week I could tweak. So to live an unhurried life might mean that you got to get up a little earlier to be living an unhurried life, amen? <laughs> but I, I want to suggest to you that this has been like a major um, part of my life. In fact, my wife has even mentioned to, that she can see this in me, that I'm not as frazzled. I, I don't feel as stressed because I, I choose to live an unhurried life like Jesus. Next one, I got to love people. This unhurried life is a lot about that. I'm an introverted person. Um, that exercise that my wife had of singing that song, she's an introverted person. I don't even know how she even called herself walking down the aisle. She don't even, she did barely like. Um, so in order for me to love people requires me to slow down and to listen to them. And it slowed down for me to hear and really see what they're doing. And I found as I greet people at the church, they can, tear, they can tell when I'm just running on my way or when I'm actually trying to connect with them. And guess what? They can tell the same in, in your life. And what really convinced, convicted me, I said to my wife, uh, must have been about three weeks ago, I said, honey, I'm working on these, these four things. And she said something that kind of pricked my heart. And I said, I'm working on these and I got to love people. And she said... Lloyd, I'm, I, I, I can tell you've been, you've been working on this. And it was the kind of answer that said, well, Lloyd, you better keep working on this one. <laughs> I got I to learn how to love people better. I got to learn how to love them as they are, not like I might want them to be. Uh, thirdly, I need to be grateful to God for everything, good and bad, up and down. I need to be, I need to be, in every day, I need to have something that I can be thankful for. And even the difficult things that God is using me to, to prune away sin, I need to be thankful. I need to look for God who's working through hardships in my life to make me more like him. How many of you need to work on your gratitude today? I need, amen, there's a few folks, gratitude. And lastly, I need to work on moderation in all things. I'm talking about my cell phone usage. I'm talking about my, what I eat, um, what, I, what I drink. I might not look like it, but I'm, most weeks, I'm six or seven days in the Princeton Club, 
and I found out it was causing all kind of hip problems, I needed to cut that back to like five days a week, right? For, for me, that's a cutback. I, uh, I see my good friend Jerry back there. He's there quite often himself. Moderation in all things, right? These are the things. And what I see is, I see how God is making me more like him when I focus on these holy ambitions. And when I'm smart enough to turn to my wife or another good friend and say, hey, these are the things that I, re- I feel like that Christ is asking me to work with. How am I doing? And if they can see progress in me, then I can rejoice with them. And this helps me. When I grow in Jesus, my love for Jesus grows. When I'm turning towards him, when I'm putting on righteousness and taking off sinfulness, my love for Jesus grows. Next slide, please. So unity requires spiritual substance. It requires you to grow in holiness. The first thing we talked about is we need a common motivation. We need to be inspired by the love of God, that we are God's children, that it is a high and noble calling. And the second is we need, a common, we need to have common beliefs. Next slide, please. I'm going to, uh, Ephesians 4, 6, 4 through 6 says this. There is one body, one spirit. We were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Next slide, please. Mm. I see I don't have my slide that tells me my time. So that means I just have all the time in the world. Praise God. (laughs) One body. Briefly, I want to walk through these things because these make the essence of the Christian faith. These are the essentials of the Christian faith. One body, that is the body of Jesus Christ, that everyone who comes to Jesus in repentance of faith, whether they're in here or Africa or Latin America or Argentina, everyone comes into this one body. Amen? That's the body of Christ. Next slide, please. And the next one is one spirit. Now, we might have all different physical DNAs, Right? We don't have all, share all the same genes, but we have one spiritual DNA, the Holy Spirit. All of us share that, him. All of us share him. He lives in all of us, the Holy Spirit. Next slide, please. Uh, we, one hope, this one ultimate hope that we all have is that upon our death, when Christ comes, we will receive a new body free of sin, live with Jesus and all who have trusted in him forever. This is the one eternal hope that we all have, that we should all look forward to in eternity with Jesus in increasing joy. One hope. Next slide, please. We have one Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died, buried, and rose for us. Next slide, please. We have one faith. Jude calls this one faith the faith that was handed to us, once entrusted to us by God's holy people about his death, burial, and resurrection, and our core doctrine. We have one faith from Jesus to his apostles to us. Next slide, please. And then we have one baptism. Here I take it to mean the water baptism, where we identify ourselves in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Next slide, please. And then we have one God and Father of all. Now this fact that of all creation, Christians believe that there is one God, not many, and that this one God sustains life and keeps us all together. And so then, if we have this one God, and we know him through Jesus Christ, then we all should be able to live in unity. 
Now, in practice, this takes some work. I grew up in a household with five brothers and sisters. We all had the same father. But we had to actually work at our unity, but so do we. We have to maintain the unity. Next slide, please. So these are our common beliefs. These are the essentials of the Christian faith. Body, spirit, hope, Lord, faith, baptism, one God and Father. These are the essentials. And if you don't believe these, then we can't have unity. If you don't believe these, we can't have unity. Next slide. Because one of the biggest um, things that works against unity in any church are theologically misaligned Christians. Theologically misaligned Christians. Next slide. I, I did a little a summary of the, the number of den denominations in the U.S., Christian denominations. I just want to read a handful. Of course, there's the Catholic Church. And then there are Baptists made up of Southern Baptists, Independent Baptists, American Baptists, National Baptists, and a group called Converge. There's United Methodists, African Methodist Episcopals, Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ, Evangelical Lutherans, Lutheran Church of the Missouri Synod, Presbyterian Church USA, Presbyterian Church in America, Church of the Nazarene, United Church of Christ, Crikers, Seventh-day Adventists, Disciples of Christ, Episcopals, Anglicans. And if you check tomorrow, some other group of Christians is going to break off and start another denomination, right? And a lot of that has to do with our immaturity. Um, this model comes from uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, and it talks about how there, we need to have essential understanding and unity on, on things like key doctrine, doctrine like, like salvation, like the fact that there is a, a, a trinity, that our God is three in one. There needs to be a, a full agreement, and when we don't have agreement on those things, then we need to separate, right? Then there are things that, that are convictions, these might have to do with what I think about uh, baptism. Um, at, at our church, we celebrate um, a baptism, and we believe in believer's baptism. Other churches, their traditions, they have infant baptism, right? Different, different convictions, good arguments on both sides. The same thing with communion. We have differences, right? So we, we have convictions with these things, and there can be differences, but that shouldn't break our total fellowship. If, if we understand Christ and his salvation, if we, under, we believe in the same God, we may not be in the same church. There may be denominations, but there ought to be Christian unity and there ought to be Christian fellowship, right? And in this last area are just opinions. What song should we sing at church? What's the order of worship? And we better not be breaking up and splintering based on those things where the scripture is not really clear, all right? So in, in, in our church and at High Point, one of the first things that we do when we, a, a new person comes and they want to join our movement, they go to an eight-week class that's taught by our elders and staff where we, where we lay out our doctrine and we, we lay out our church government. And at the end of it, we ask them during, during the interview, we say, are you in substantial agreement with what we teach here? Because if you're not, the elders want to speak to that person early versus there being unrest and problems. We want to cut off any disagreements early. And I find most churches will take their doctrine pretty seriously. And they should, because here we're talking about our doctrine. We cannot live out the truth of Christ if we don't understand what the truth is. 
So, so, uh, so next slide, please. Unity is based on our common motivation. It's also based on our common beliefs. And lastly, human unity is based on our common practices. Next slide. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Next slide. Um, ungodly members uh, destroy the fellowship in the church. They cause um, disagreements among us and contentions. They create arguments over things that are uh, not essential. Ungodly members. Uh, every church depends on humble members. From the senior pastor, through all of the elders, on to the deacons, to the small group leaders, to the newest member, it depends that we all recognize that we are to worship Christ and to love each other. And, that, and, and we have to have a spirit where we're willing to serve, willing to serve. Um, I came to High Point in 2006. I didn't realize that they were in the midst of some unrest. I joined the Elder Board in 2010. One of the reasons I believe the church has been blessed is though the elders have certain disagreements, there has been an essential unity and great fellowship amongst the elders. Uh, you ought to praise the Lord for that. Because uh, usually church divisions start at the top and work their way down. Now, they can start at the bottom and work their way up too, but usually they start at the top. We've been blessed at High Point to have good, strong unity at the top. That's been, that's been very helpful. Humble, but that requires humility. It requires um, uh, Nick to defer to our elder chair, Kent. It, it requires the elder chair and the elders to defer to Nick. Uh, it requires me to defer to Nick and Mike, and it requires you, right? Humility, a willingness to yield. Next, uh, gentleness versus harshness. That one of the things that, that destroys our unity the most is when we don't speak the truth in love, but when we're mean-spirited in, in our language and harsh. And so we ought to be gentle. We ought to be truth-tellers, but we ought to be able to tell the truth uh, in a way that can be heard with gentleness versus being harsh. We ought to be long-suffering versus dismissive. So we are uh, having these, uh, these testimonies. And um, I think that there are around the, the walls of hostility trying to break down the, the cultural, the, our natural cultural barriers that keep us separated, uh, worshiping in different churches and not worshiping in one church as God has made us, right? We have these natural barriers. And we're hearing these testimonies, and I think you could have two potential reactions to these testimonies. You could, you could have this reaction. You could say, boy, you know, I'm well aware that we have these problems. If everybody else would just do their part, these things would go away, right? So the problem is you. If you would just get on board, these would go away, right? Or you could be the, in the group that feels like all these different testimonies are aimed at your tribe. And you could say, man, every, every testimony is aimed at me. And, and for you, I want you to recognize 
that God is also working on the others too. And that in these testimonies, most of the, the folks who've testified have been able to say how God has, is changing, is working on their hearts in order to create unity in our church. And so regardless of if you think it's somebody else's problem, God is saying to you, no, you just keep listening. I got a word of encouragement and a, maybe a word of discipline for you. And if you think that it's a personal attack, what we're trying to say is be patient. God is going to be working on the hearts of other folks. Next slide, long-suffering versus dismissive. Uh, don't, don't, not next slide, diligent versus negligent. This text says that in order for us to achieve our unity, to live in the unity that, that it, we, we, uh, God has given us, that it takes diligence. So one of the ways that you can divide the church is, not, is by not being aware of how God could be creating unrest in the friends around you or in your own heart. Not being aware where the enemy is trying to create splits and divisions in the church. And further, when you see uh, things that don't work towards unity, not dealing with it. So we need to be diligent, we need to be vigilant as it relates to our unity. Next slide, please. All these things define love. That's why I love 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says that love is patient, not harsh. It says that it doesn't count wrongs. It says that it forgives. Because all of these uh, fruit of the Spirit rolled together define God's love. And, and God's love is self-sacrificial. It pours out. It gives. It's not self-indulgent. It doesn't serve its, its own. That's the difference. Next slide, please. Now, I want to talk specifically for a minute about the things that I think we may need to work on as I think about um, breaking down the, the walls of hostility. Uh, some people have asked me, I said, Lloyd, you've been here since uh, 2006, and you and your wife have been here, you raised your children here. Um, man, I think I would like to hear from you what your testimony is on being at the church. Uh, my testimony is in, like, in my sermons. I tell you about everything kind of that's going on in my life, up and down, depression, good stuff, whatever. But I do think I want to say a few things about what I think uh, are the threats, the, the, the things that we need to tear down in order to create more, uh, a church where there's more intergenerational and more multicultural. These four things. A lack of empathy. One of my friends' his name is Robert Keogh. Uh, uh, Robert used to work at Upper House. Um, I got to know him at Upper House. And uh, one of the times um, we were, I was doing some work at Upper House, we were studying a scholar, uh, uh, Thurman. We were studying this, this, this scholar from the uh, 1940s and 50s. And in the course of this, we got a relationship. And Robert was telling me how professors at the University of Wisconsin, those who are white and male, feel severely under attack. All right, I'm a black man from Chicago, okay. I was like, under attack? I was about to laugh, under attack? <laughs> that their, their, um, their liberties are being threatened, that their accomplishments are being called privilege, 
and a host of things like that. And after I preached last Sunday, another, a couple of men, older men, 50 plus, came to me and said, boy, it just really feels like it's just not a good time to be a, a white male. I think that there's some truth in that. There's some truth in that. That's a, that's a position that people like me need to hear. And, and, and some of these other testimonies that you're hearing from Augustina or from Patrick or, or um, uh, one of our elders, you, you kind of need to hear. I think what we need is we need to be able to understand the different perspectives and even put ourselves, try to put ourselves in their shoes if we're going to be able to work through and, and break down some of these barriers. I've, I, I know I've got to press in to understand a little bit more about this feeling that white men have that they're under attack. And they may have to understand, press in a little bit to understand what it's like to be Augustino at our church. We've got to have some empathy for each other. That's going to be really important if we're going to, uh, to, to break down these barriers. Fear. Occasionally, I will uh, be working in the halls and somebody will introduce me to a person of color, and, they, the, and it'll be a white person introduce me to a person of color, and it'll be kind of insulting in how they did it. And I, I, won't, I won't go into some of the details of it, because I don't, because what I need to do is break down the fear and take the person aside and say, I, I, when you say this, this is how you make that person feel. You need, to, you need to say it this way. You need to, you need to change the way that you're ex expressing things. So I'll see some things in our fellowship um, as an African-American male and a minority that I know is offensive to, to, to people who are in minority, and I don't say anything to you about it. And because I'm afraid. Um, I've got to stop being afraid. I've got to tell the truth in love because that may be why the people of color are coming for one or two weeks and then never coming back. So I've got I've to talk to you about that. The other fear is, I wonder if there's a fear among us, that you look at, um, among our congregation uh, today, uh, sprinkling of people of color, mostly white. Uh, what, what if this church was 30% people of color? I wonder, are you afraid of how the church might change if there were an increasing number of Asian and Latino and African-American people at High Point. And so if that, if that notion gives you fear, then that's a fear that we gotta work, have to work through if we are going to break down these walls of separation. That's a fear you're going to have to work through. The next one I want to talk about is elitism. We know that uh, if you go to any church in a given um, uh, cultural context, there are going to be some distinctives. There's going to be some things that are different. So you'll go to an African-American church, and I might be actually down in the aisles preaching in the African-American context, and it'd be back and forth, right? And uh, if I believe that that is the only way that worship ought to be done, that's the only way to effectively worship Christ, and if you get that from me, you're going you're gonna to hate it. And if I'm a minority person in your congregation, and I get from you that it has to be this way and these songs, and, and if there's an arrogance that's brought into that, that's going to turn people off. Elitism. 
Now, we have natural differences in how we do things, how we preach, how we sing, how we do any number of things. But we need to watch whether our preferences tend to build, try to build up our ego, that this is the best way to do it. Because in a church that's multicultural, every culture wants to be respected. And no culture wants to feel inferior. And so we got to watch elitism. The last one I want to talk about is impatience. My wife and I came in 2006. We were the last members that were appointed by uh, Bill Mugford. Some of you will remember Pastor Bill Mugford. Shortly after uh, my wife and I became members, uh, Bill announced that he was leaving and going to Carolina. We had an interim a pastor, really Usherwood. Uh, when that didn't end well, uh, most of the people of color left the church. Must have been a year or two ago, one of my dear friends who's an usher said, he said, Lloyd, I'm really thankful that you stayed through all the trouble. Impatience. High Point had probably over 20% people of color uh, back in 2006. Asians, Latinos, blacks, etc. Probably over 20%. After that unrest, it went down to probably 5-6%. It was sparse. And slowly but surely, uh, under Pastor Nick's leadership, that's been moving upward. He's been making intentional efforts with me preaching and with staff folks in relationships. And you've been making intentional efforts. But as a person of color, the progress is slow. Slow, slow, slow. And one of, our, one of the things I have to watch with is impatience that God's work of building a multicultural church here at High Point takes time. And I don't have the right to be all huffing and puffing because it is not my way. Impatience will destroy our ability to become multicultural. So these are the four things I think that we need to watch if we're going to become multicultural, better, stronger in this area. A lack of empathy and an inability for me to put myself in your shoes. Your inability to put yourself in my shoes. Fear, elitism, and impatience. Next slide, please. So I want to come, I want to conclude with these final things. We've talked about that our um, unity requires us to grow and become more like Jesus. And we said that we've got to have a common motivation, the love of God. We've got to have a common theology. And if we're fighting over, over doctrine, we're not going to be unified. And then we've got to have a love of God that all of us are actively uh, pursuing and living out. And these are the last three things I just want to leave with you uh, in regards to uh, application. In the midst of living in unity, I'm going to do and say some things that are wrong, and you are going to do some things and say some things that are wrong, and we've got to have a willingness and an eagerness to repent and forgive. Uh, there's no unity, no fellowship. I couldn't even be married 30 years if every time I said a harsh word to Debbie, it just sit out there. And every time she said a harsh word, we, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't last. Those wounds need to be dealt with and bandaged. And the way you deal with emotional wounds is, is admitting your sin and then forgiving the sin, right? That's crucial to our, to our unity. Next one is that we've got to remember that we're all servants. 
And what we long to hear is at the end of our, our time, we want Jesus to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That our primary identity in Christ is that we serve him and we serve each other. We got to remember our, 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 that we're servants. And the last one is I want to make an appeal that you pray for the elders, especially right now. Uh, I, uh, as we've been thinking about our future, uh, the staff has been putting together some new potential strategies. Um, there might be some opportunities with impact Christian schools that might require a different kind of commitment. And all of these things are going to require a lot of maturity amongst the leaders to figure out how God is leading the church. And there has been tremendous uh, unity uh, since 2010 and, and even before with uh, Pastor Bill Lurch, even before. There's been tremendous unity, but I just, I don't want to take that for granted. And so this is a time when you should be praying for the leaders of the church. Uh, Kent and Nick, who especially lead us as elders, you should be praying for our unity so that we can stay in lockstep with Christ. Let us pray. Wait. Lord, I thank you for um, the unity that you have given us. And I pray that uh, some things were shared from your word that will help us maintain the unity in the church. Lord, we're always in a position of, of growth. I'm growing. There's new Christians coming in who are just getting started. And there's always opportunities for discord and disagreement. But Father, we pray, we pray by your spirit that you will give us the kind of humility and the mercy and love that will keep us together uh, no matter what the future might hold. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.